So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Good evening, and welcome to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. As always, I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me, as always, are my very excellent captains. Uh, guys, go ahead and introduce yourself again, Derek. Yo, hi everybody, I am Derek, the Star Trek dude. <laughs> and I'm Jeremy Monken. Jeremy, you're also kind of a Star Trek dude. I'm not the Star Trek. I'm a Star Trek. Dude. You're a Star Trek dude. That's right. There can only be one. <laughs> well, and I'm I'm the one who hasn't seen any of the original series stuff, so I'm I'm the least of the Star Trek dudes. <laughs> this week, I'm feeling like more of a Star Wars dude, actually. Oh, yes. Well, everybody, we're recording this on uh, December nineteenth, and this is actually going to be our last recording of the year for Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're going to take a break over. You know, Christmas and New Year, spend some time with friends and family. So we hope you all do the same. Uh, get your Trek watching in. I'm actually going to be starting Enterprise again myself over the holiday break. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's I never got to finish it, and I need to I need to man up my Star Trek card. Oh, okay. So if you never so. finish it, I, I need to know what you think when you do. I'm very curious. Well, I've got 10 days off of work. Um, so I'm a, <laughs> what is that? Tw- <laughs> what is that? 12 episodes a day and I should be good? Yeah, it's something like that. So it's a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be doing it while I play a Star Trek game, so it's all good. There you um, go. But but anyways, Derek and Jeremy, were you guys uh, last week? We ended off with our discussion on the Tarantino film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh, you'll be happy to know. I actually heard from some of my coworkers they liked, they enjoyed what we were going with it. Oh, that's good. All right. Because they actually, one of them even commented, they're like, you know, it's crazy, but it's actually plausible. <laughs> It's crazy enough to work. <laughs> Which is just perfect for Star Trek. Well, I keep up with politics, so it feels like it's been a million years since we actually did this. So, uh, Derek, you want to give us a recap? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So, uh, basically, what we had was that uh, Captain uh, or Admiral Picard and uh, Gates McFadden's crusher as kind of a couple with him. She's head of Starfleet Medical. They are... Basically on the maiden test voyage of the new Enterprise F when a temporal anomaly occurs and the Enterprise A that we see at the end of Star Trek Beyond comes through with Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and the rest of the gang. And at that moment, everything shifts like it does in yesterday's Enterprise, becomes a much darker timeline. The Federation is at war with the Cardassians um, and... Basically, the Federation has become more of a military organization, kind of taking over sectors of the galaxy. And Picard wants to use the technology of his time to go back and give the Federation a stronger position during the Kirk era. And um, we find out that uh, Kirk is able to go back with the the Enterprise A, but they have to, of course, do a slingshot around the sun, which... Picard's ship, even though it's this massive battle cruiser of a ship, doesn't have the speed or the agility to make the slingshot. So he has to try and steal the Enterprise A. And that's where we left off. That is definitely one hell of a story. (laughs) Like it. (laughs) But, you know, if you think about it with all the other Star Trek movies out there and Star Trek episodes, it's really not that crazy. (laughs) I should... I should have tagged on the previously on Star Trek Tarantino or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Previously on Battlestar Galactica. Star Tarantino. Oh, Star Trek. There we go. Star Trek. Sorry. (laughs) I just always laugh because South Park always did the previously on Battlestar Galactica thing. Yes. Yes. Because, well, yeah, theirs was always a little different because there was no words. It was just flashes of scenes that happened. So, 
Uh, yep. But anyway, anyway, so we have to finish this story, and we want to do it relatively quick because the main topic of the episode, of course, is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and we want to get that for Spock. we want to get that search underway. So um, we have to figure out now, guys. So does Picard get the Enterprise A? Do Kirk and Spock figure it out before him? Um, how do we resolve this movie? So uh, when we were talking last week, I still wanted to involve someone. Uh, of a non non human trek race because um, we're very very human centric so far in what you described so is there some way we can pull in um cardassians romulans uh klingons in this timeline gold Ducat's like a sympathetic person yeah <laughs> well the idea the idea that we had kind of gone towards was that the federation was at war with the cardassians uh, well, the Federation is basically at war with everybody. Well, yeah. I mean, that's true. They had conquered the, the Romulan Star Empire, um, and we're fighting the Klingons, of course, always, but we're also at war with the Cardassians. So it could be interesting if we brought in Gull Tukat and maybe Garrick uh, and kind of did some stuff with them. Yeah, because... It would be amazing if a ship showed up that was a united anti-Federation resistance force that was... Uh, like Kira, Quark, Worf, and uh, Galdicott. It was just like <laughs> well, anti Federation. And the, and the thing the about Federation. it is, most fans they love the actors that played Ducat and um, and Garrick, mm-hmm. and most of the cast of DS Nine. It seems like everybody loved. I mean, really adored those actors and actresses. Yes, so I completely agree with you. I think that could be really interesting. Um, so would they be? Are they attempting to maybe sabotage the maiden voyage of the new Enterprise? That, or maybe they, uh, I, I know we were just joking about this movie and how it didn't do so well. They borrow a cue from Nemesis, remember where the the three Romulan warbirds arrived to help the Enterprise out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, right. and it's like the Enterprise A fleeing from the Enterprise, what we decided was the F. Because yes. we're, we're, we're giving Picard and them that 30-year that gap. Right. Um. And it's just like three Cardassian battlecruisers arrived to help out the Enterprise A. They somehow are in communication and realize, wait a second, these guys are trying to... Their ships look different, the uniforms look different, what the hell's going on? I kind of remember, um, remember the episode with uh, with Riker when they're testing him in command of a ship? And he's given that old, old Constellation class? Yes. And the Fer- the Ferengi show up because the two Federation ships they think are just beating the hell out of each other? Yeah. They could even do a little something like that, where they're like, why are these two Federation ships engaging each other? We've never seen this before. What's going on? Interesting. I like it. The the Riker maneuver was coined. Yeah, the Riker maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's also that uh, Tom Hardy is has since become a much larger star. Maybe we bring back Tom Hardy. Now he's been cloned by the Resistance to defeat uh, evil Picard. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Okay, so on the Enterprise F's... But we have Mad Max jacked Tom Hardy. <laughs> so wait, so on the, on the Enterprise F's maiden voyage, this resistance crew of essentially DS9 characters need to smuggle the clone of Picard onto the ship. With the help of Cardassians. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this, okay, this is definitely a Tarantino movie. Wow. All right. So, okay. So, oh, oh. So, how about we go back? So, before, well, no, that wouldn't work. I was going to say if if somehow before they leave the the original Picard could die in the normal timeline, so they have to bring back a clone of Picard to take his place. That's too convoluted. Yeah, I don't want to kill off Picard. No. I, I can't do that to Sir Patrick Stewart. I want him to have his, not reckoning at the end, but he realizes how he was mistaken and that the Enterprise A was right. Or ideally, when the Enterprise A goes back through the slingshot, it, it fixes the timeline and then everything goes back to normal and we see restored. But we have to get to that. So the question is, how do we get from where we are right now to that resolution of the Enterprise A doing the slingshot? So what could be missing uh, that they need that this this third act fix could could bring them? So or do we just need is is all we really need to someone to hold off the the Enterprise F battleship so that they can complete this maneuver? I think that really has to be what it is. I think you're right. I think that um, 
<clears throat> okay, so it has to be something like they have to go to a particular star in order for the slingshot to work. The Earth Soul System doesn't work, right? For some tech the tech trek technology thing, right? Um, trek no battle. Yeah. And maybe in this in this universe, there's actually too many Starfleet ships around Earth, Ooh. so they can't get to the sun. Well, then that's what I was talking about last week, where they go to uh, DS9. So instead of using the slingshot maneuver, they're using the wormhole. Well, see, the, but we needed a reason why the Enterprise F can't follow them. I mean, there's there's no reason it can't follow them, but then that's what we, what we would need the other characters to hold off the Enterprise F. Ooh, okay. And I guess the, the wormhole in Bajor is close enough to Cardassian space. It can also involve the Cardassians. Yeah. Okay. And the Bajorans. Because if... Like, that's that's the biggest twist is just suddenly Bajorans and Cardassians are the bestest of friends because the Federation have driven them into each other's arms. Because if you think about it, you could say that Earth and the central core systems in this universe, they're going to be too heavily defended for the Enterprise A to get to. Yeah, they're, they're in full war mode. Okay. Yeah, if they're in full war mode, they're going to have to go to an outlying base, an outlying base. Maybe, maybe it's not DS9, maybe it's DS7 or something. I don't know. So, but it's still... The en- Still the wormhole. So the Enterprise A figures out that Picard and the Enterprise F want to steal their ship and go back in time and mess with the timeline. So Chris Pinekirk and the rest of his gang, of motley crew, are trying to outrun the Enterprise F on the way to the uh, the wormhole. And when they get there, the Cardassians are waiting for them to, to attack, and they have to basically interfere with the Enterprise F. Is that what you guys are thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could we could f- see the first, like, full united opposition to the Federation where, like, a, a bird of prey, a warbird, uh, what is the, the Ferengis have those big weird horseshoe The Marauders, ships. yeah. Marauder, yeah. And if you think about it, it kind of plays along with that Star Trek trope where you know, the Romulans have the underground that's trying to unite with the Vulcans. The Klingons have the have separate houses that fight with each other. The Cardassians are always fighting with each other between the Obsidian Order and the Central Command. So in this case, because Starfleet and the Federation are the big baddies, there's a group of people out there going, this is not what the Federation was founded for. It's like, um, uh, what's that word? It's like they're traditionalists. They want to go back to the way the Federation was when it was founded. Mm-hmm. Well, also, this this basically casts the Federation as like the the British Empire during the like maritime uh, India Trading Company era, where like they pretty much make everyone else into pirates while their empire expands and they plant the British flag everywhere. So it kind of makes makes uh, Picard like the the admiral from uh, the Johnny Depp which who's it movies. Pirates of the Pirates Caribbean. Of the Caribbean. So, so all of the other alien races would basically be like the the moot, the 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 gathering with the pieces of eight and all that stuff from the second movie. Interesting. Okay, I like that. I like that. So then we have this massive battle sequence where you know the Enterprise F has to fight off all of these big ships, and it's getting you know torn to shreds. But Picard's not going to stop. The Enterprise A is inching slowly towards the wormhole. Do we have anything where it almost looks like they're going to fail, where Picard maybe gets a shot in or something like that, or are they just successful? Either a shot or something, uh, borrowing a true, uh, I don't know what the hell, like a joke from Star Trek where there's like a, an ongoing warp core breach in the Enterprise A, <laughs> like as they're going through the wormhole. Now, I don't want to make, because then you got to deal with the, the drama of going through the wormhole and the space battle and uh, warp core breach. So it's like three crisis moments at the same time. So I'm not too sure about that. So what I'm envisioning is you you have the wormhole opening as it does when things get close to it. Uh, you have the Enterprise A right in the mouth of the wormhole on, on this side. You have the Enterprise F holding it in a tractor beam and then all of the other ships buzzing around it. So that's like the ultimate moment of tension is they're, they're locked in place while, while things are happening on both sides. And then the last, you know, the last thing would have, have to happen to the Enterprise F to shut down the tractor beam. And then they just pop through. I like it. I like it. So maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's like one of the Enterprise, turns on him. yeah, or one of the Enterprise A crewmen, maybe one of the important characters 
somehow sacrifices themselves to destroy the tractor beam. Like a legitimate self-sacrifice moment where it messes with the old timeline while restoring the new timeline at the same time. Well, I like that you guys wanted to bring in the DS9 characters, and I feel like we haven't really given them much to do. What if... What if they're the ones taking t- taking another page from from some some previous track? Maybe they have to go on like a run on the Enterprise F to disable the tractor beam. There we go. What if they launch a torpedo that just is Odo? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I want to see. Like that's that's what is has been missing all of this. Because they never had the CG to properly do what an Odo would look like. So with like a dark, gritty, big budget Tarantino film, we could have Odo be like a monster that basically takes over the Enterprise F once he gets inside. Just like slams people against walls and, and busts through hallways. That could be a little a little crazy. Uh, Greg, how do you feel about that? Well, I, you know, I love Odo, the character, and Rene Aubergenois, which I think is how you say his name. Um, I love the actor. Yeah. I follow him on Twitter. He's pretty hilarious. Um, I, it would be cool to introduce Odo in some capacity like that, or maybe maybe the Federation still doesn't know about the Changelings because the timeline is so different. Mm. Well, also, I mean, it wouldn't even need to be Rene Abergenois because... It could, yeah, uh, you're right. This is, this is a darker timeline where Odo never saw peace, so it, it could be just like a primal Changeling monster. That they, they basically oh. fire as a weapon. Yeah, good point, good point. But they've been weaponizing. Yeah, and now the DS9 crew save it, but at the time they save it, they're like, we can't do anything with this. It's too violent. It's too vicious. So yeah, we're so going to fire They keep it in like, an electrical prison. <laughs> we're going to fire it at the Enterprise F and just hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. That could be for a very interesting scene. Okay. And then, and then it, it has to fight against the, uh, the fully mechanized war data that's just like a giant... <laughs> death death bot he's oh, ed man. 209 from <laughs> from robocop yeah. if it, I, I, I i guess we could do that yeah we could we could put that in there seems seems a little overboard <laughs> what's well, a tarantino movie. that's true that's true so all right so uh the enterprise f is thwarted and the enterprise a is able to cross into the wormhole returning safely to their original time and everything shifts back as if nothing ever right. happened. So, so the the final moment is is Dark Picard running to his his weapon systems that are being thrashed by giant uh, primal Odo, and then as the flash of light as as the Enterprise A goes back to the normal time, the the light sweeps over the bridge and it just switches to Rene Abergenois shaking hands with Admiral Picard. There you go. Settling, settling the uh, the conflict between uh, the Federation and the uh, Changeling, and yeah. scene. <laughs> so there you go. I guess that's it. Second star yep. to the Cut, right. Print. We expect our royalties, Mister Tarantino, <laughs> or at least nay, our names in the credits, and uh, we'll come to the movie premiere. Or at least the walk red on rolls as ensigns. Yeah, there we go. I'll I'll be killed by a rock monster. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'll be the rock monster. There we go. All right, so there you go. So that is our Tarantino movie. Um, I hope you guys liked it. Let us know what you think. You can uh, hit us up at Heroes Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, heroespodcast.com to let us know. Now it is time for us to talk about Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Yep. Now, uh, for those who have not followed along, we have been going in order during the uh, Star Trek Discovery break. And Jeremy, this is his first viewing of the OG movies, so to speak. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, Gotta say, wasn't that impressed by this one? Well, uh, fair warning, if you have not had a chance to see <laughs> the uh, Search for Spock yet, uh, we will be spoiling it, of course, but... Uh, You've had, I don't know, 33 years, I think, so uh, yeah. that one's on you. But, uh, yeah, so you weren't you a big fan? No, it, I mean, so another thing I said before we started recording was uh, Insurrection is my favorite, favorite Star Trek movie, which is why I'm a bad Star Trek fan, because, you know, everyone get your booze out now and throw your tomatoes at your various recording devices. Um 
but uh, I like it because it's it's the most like a normal episode. This one felt like a normal episode, but that's kind of what made me not like it because it just felt like it was consolidated to one planet. It was kind of a uh, I don't know. It was almost like a heist movie for the the old crew. I don't know. Everything just felt smaller than it could have been, but not in a way that was uh, additive to the story. Interesting. Hmm. It's an interesting take. Um, I, I've always liked this one for the most part. Uh, I, I always enjoyed the heist and stealing of the Enterprise. I always in, thought that was a lot of fun. Christopher Lloyd, I thought, made a great Klingon. Um, and, uh, you know, there was, of course, the the big death of Kirk's son that he's known for, like, six, six hours uh, no, that's not true. He's he's not yeah. he's known him for a few weeks. Some time has passed, but uh, they haven't spent any time together. Not much, no. Uh, Greg, what, how do you feel about this one? I un without shame. I love Star Trek Three. Yeah, I love the Enterprise heist. I love Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon. Um, even the simple remember he kills his gunnery person. <laughs> I mean, I love it because he. I told you to target their engines. You know, look, sorry, sir, lucky shot. And he, bam, he just kills them. Mm-hmm. That's a Klingon. Yeah. That's what Klingons would do. I love the fight with Krug and Kirk. And I love, I just, I can't, I can't get enough of the film. Um, even, even the, there's a very small scene in the very beginning of the movie, which spoilers, I know I'm already spoiling it, everything. Uh, well, I don't know if we already said spoilers, but yeah, when the right. Enterprise is we coming did. into dock and all the Starfleet officers just see that the Enterprise got its ass kicked. And you can visibly oh, see like the, other uh, admirals, original, yeah. The original yeoman. <laughs> you can you can you can see vi- like other admirals just shaking their head. It's like, oh, here's the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's true. And Rand is there to to Jeremy's point. She's a commander by this point, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is one of the few times you really get to see you know the hero ship not at its best. You know, because it seems like, at least like in the TNG movies, the ship is always repaired by the next movie, right? They Or totally or, or destroyed, destroyed, right? So yeah, well, yeah, they blow it up in Generations, we get a brand new one in First Contact. By Insurrection, it's all fixed again. And in Nemesis, it gets beat up, but fixed all in the same movie. <laughs> so to see this one just, it basically goes through two films in pieces uh, is pretty cool. I always like that. And I'm sorry, I think we all, well, I don't know about you, Jeremy. But I'm one of those guys that the self-destruct scene of the Enterprise when the Klingon's on board and Krug is just freaking out. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that was great. It's cheesy. <laughs> it's corny as hell. But for some reason, I was like, this is just, this is good fan service. Well, I <laughs> like the idea that the Klingons would not necessarily have a self-destruct because that wouldn't be what they would want to do. They would just, they would rather die fighting. So the idea that they wouldn't understand why the computer was counting I think would be very interesting. Um, well, Krug knew. Well, yeah, of course, but he's the captain, mm. you know, so it's a little different. But you know, the, the average Joe on a Klingon vessel may not be aware of what a self destruct is. Yeah. Plus, he's got that awesome Klingon dog. Uh, yes. And he's, he's so wet. He's telling he's telling the crew member to feed him, and the crew, even the actor, the crew members, is like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> John John Larroquette. Oh, really? Yeah, one of the Klingon crewmen. Uh, the like the one that's left at the end of the movie. I believe that's John Larroquette. Huh. From Night Court. That's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, but... For a half for a half second, I heard John, and I automatically put Delancey in there. I was like, Q. John De- um, John Delancey. <laughs> yes. As a Klingon. That's great. Um, so, okay, so let's take this then from the beginning. So the movie does start out, the, the Enterprise arrives at Earth's space dock, which is a beautiful scene, um, and we uh, we find out that there will be no refit. Yes. Yeah, but, so that was that was one thing that I had a little bit of a problem with. He said the, sh- the ship is 20 years old, but wasn't there, like, a full refit in the motion picture? Yes, um... So the Enterprise, though, as a ship is very old at this point because, you know, there was a, a big gap between the motion picture and Wrath of Khan. 
Uh, there was a big gap between the show and the motion picture. So, yeah, the idea is – and Kirk wasn't even the first captain. He was the third captain of the Enterprise. Mm. So it's – you know, this, the ship is 20 I – think, I think he says it's 25 years old um, by this point. So the ship, I guess, is outdated and they don't want to spend the resources to refurbish it. True. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it seemed – we're always kind of led to believe that the, the Federation has all these resources and, you know, they can replicate whatever they need for them to just say, like, well, the flagship of the Enterprise is too old, so we're just going to mothball it or, like, you know, return it to to matter to be used for the next ship. Seems like, you know, give it – Give it some scouting thing. Make it a science ship. It's it's not like it. No, it may be because they're also at the same movie. They're introducing the Excelsior, and they're like the great experiment. And maybe Starfleet at the times like, oh, we're going to build nothing but Excelsior class. Which once you watch Next Generation, that's pretty much all they do build. But yeah, the Excelsior is introduced, and you know I love that the captain is just such a doofus. <laughs> carries around he carries around his little writing chap thing. When I was a kid, I thought it was an umbrella, yeah. and I was like, why do you need an umbrella in space, dude? Well, then it's even worse. You're like, why do you need a riding stock <laughs> chat? Like, what the hell are you going to... Do you have horses on the Excelsior? I mean... Well, yeah, it's like he controlling the ship with a little magic wand. And I know, I know there's somebody out there. It's like, Greg, Greg, that that's a command staff. I'm like, I don't care. You can call it what you want. It's It's a riding... It's a horse riding stick. That's exactly what that thing is. <laughs> Yes. Even if it's a command staff, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this captain obviously is one of those political appointee captains. He went to like high school with like a fleet admiral. There you go. Yeah. So, so going back to the beginning of this movie, though, where they show the end of this, the second one, it is weird thinking that like, why wouldn't there was there was no necessity to just launch Spock off right away? And if they're heading back into Federation space, why wouldn't they just? wait to where Sarek, like, because that seems like they're they're making no concessions to his Vulcan heritage to, like, try and give him Vulcan funeral rites. They're just like, oh, we're going to launch him at the closest planet and just fire him in a torpedo. Like, what was the point well, of that? Well, don't forget, at the end of Wrath of Khan, Kirk does say that, you know, if what he understands about the Genesis device is true, he'll have to come back to that planet someday. Like, he, he almost expects what happens to to happen. Oh, so that he was planning for that to happen? I don't know that he was necessarily planning for it, but his monologue... He was hoping. He was hoping, yes. Because his monologue mm. at the end of Wrath of Khan definitely says that he'll have to return someday uh, because of the effects of the Genesis device. I thought that meant just because the planet will be terraformed and he would be able to visit a now lush planet where... Spock's been laid to rest. Yeah, I never, I never took it that way. Um, I guess it just mm. that's just a question of, you know, the uh, the inference for each of us. But I always took it as he had a hunch. Yeah. Well, I do like how Sarek calls him out on that. Totally calls him out on it. Yeah. Because wouldn't Spock's sister Michael want to do that? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's funny that you joke about that. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to reference this very conversation when we get to Star Trek Five. Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, but yeah, no, Sarek totally calls him out on it. He's like, "How could you do this to your best friend?" And Kirk has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, your best friend never told you his. Last wishes? No, no, I wasn't there. We weren't that close. So, but before we before we get you know um, to to that, you know, we have of course the introduction of the Excelsior, and it's the future ship, and they're all really kind of other than Sulu, they're all kind of insulted by it just existing, you know. And uh, Scotty, which get over yourself a little on. bit, right? Like Scotty's got his whole eye, and if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a wagon, which I never understood and still don't understand what that means but um, it's a scottish thing uh yeah they all ride their grandmothers as well if if we have any if we have any fans from scotland please let us know what what that phrase means (laughs) oh man uh but yeah so they i always thought that was a little odd because scotty of all people should uh be excited about the future of warp technology right yeah you would think especially if they're talking about some sort of like trans warp 
which for anybody out there who knows about, you know, the transwarp conduits that the Borg use, um, yeah, that's different. They kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. Very different. <laughs> they kind of drop transwarp after this movie. So, well, right, because with with warp just adding, you know, exponential values to how fast you're going, warp one through fifteen, thirty, twenty, whatever. Like, what's what is trans warp? Like, you go faster than warp infinity. Well, so okay, so here's here's some Star Trek science for a moment. Warp drive as a limitation has been played with many times. Uh, originally, it was you could not go faster than warp ten. And there's a whole Voyager episode. Uh, which <laughs> uh, is not not the best episode in the world, but uh, is about breaking the warp ten barrier. But then, of course, you have in all good things the finale of the TNG. The uh, the refit dreadnought Enterprise uh, D can go warp thirteen. So, right, and there's that next generation episode where they limited all warp travel to eight or lower, unless in emergencies, because. It creates subspace rifts if you go past that. Yes. Yes. Because there's that that scientist who, like, detonates the bomb and creates the wormhole or whatever it was. Well, he basically destabilized subspace so ships could not create a warp field. Right. Yep. Uh, So Thank God we have spore drive now. (laughs) Right. Uh, So for whatever warp drive is, trans-warp drive is supposed to be faster. Um so, you know, Scotty gets to sabotage it by taking a few spark plugs out of the engine. <laughs> and That was so ridiculous <laughs> when they're, like, powering up and, and it sounds like, like a jalopy. Those, <laughs> like, like, tin cans. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I, do, I do love the smiley face on the screen. It just says, you know, good morning, Captain, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's classic Scotty, you know. But let's face it, if you take out a couple spark plugs in your engine, what could possibly go wrong? Right. Right. Yeah, there's there's probably like two seconds after it cut away from that scene, it was like, we have a warp core breach! (laughs) Abandoned ship! I did like the captain's reply, though, to the yellow alert. He's like, how can we have a yellow alert in space, Doc? (laughs) (laughs) Sir, someone's stealing the Enterprise. Uh, I'll be right there. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so they have the heist. They have to steal the ship, and everyone has their little part to play. Uh, which is great. You've got Uhura gets to like just totally screw with that little ensign guy. <laughs> that also, is... why is there a closet? <laughs> well, I mean, why does a transporter room have a closet? Yeah, for extra equipment, you know, for your jackets you, if it's cold. You got to put yeah, you got to put your jacket somewhere. Yeah. It's very cold okay. in space. <laughs> what if the if environmental being transported fail? into space? That's a problem. That seems to happen all the time. True, but uh, I don't want to skip over the uh, the weird like cantina scene that we get to see oh. that felt very Star Warsy, where uh, Bones Bones, who's quasi possessed by Spock and his uh, Katra, uh, is calling things logical and basically talking to like a giant toothless Yoda. Genesis. Going, like, I can't even do it. <laughs> Which place do you wish to go to? The guy with the tarantula speed? legs everywhere. Yeah. Right. Planet Forbidden. Um. <laughs> and was that was that just on the space station that they were on? Like, yeah. who's, why is there a CD bar on a like perfectly preserved Federation space? I station? mean, I wouldn't say it's CD necessarily. It's just it's a bar on space dock. It was it was pretty CD. I mean, you have yeah, Quarks and DS Nine. Yeah, but that's Bajoran with Federation control. This is full Federation. Yeah, true. But you think the Bajorans, with their very strict religious thing, wouldn't want a bar? Sorry, yeah. I'm not. I'm not judging any Bajorans out there. <laughs> I love Bajorans. You're amazing people. No, I mean Jeremy makes a very interesting point though, because it is a kind of a sketchy place. Um, but I mean, it looks like the Tatooine Cantina. But there Look, are. I mean, there are guards, and you know, Bones gets arrested essentially. Let's just think by an undercover fed. It's because Return of the Jedi had come out a couple years ago, and they wanted that Jabba the Hutt feel. Yeah, but yeah, I mean he's he's basically doing what uh, what Luke and uh, Obi Wan do to find Han. It's like it's a basic one to one A New Hope scene. <laughs> True. And uh, I was reading the uh, the Easter egg trivia, or whatever, and they said that there was going to be a, a bar fight in that scene, but Nimoy didn't want to deal with it, so he cut it. <laughs> really? <That's> 
Um, but, I mean, you know. I don't like you either, it, uh, Bones. <laughs> it doesn't work out, though. He doesn't get the Falcon, and they have to stick with the Enterprise, so. <laughs> yep. I do love, I do love when Kirk goes to get Bones from there, and he does the Vulcan salute and asks him how many fingers he's holding up. <laughs> it's one of my favorite jokes. It, and that's best. That's basically them rescuing Leia from the Death Star. I mean, a little bit. That scene. Yeah, yeah, hmm. a little bit. But uh, yeah, that, that's all. All that stuff. I'm going like, to push so back in, a little bit because that implies that any movie since 1977 can't have a prison rescue. So I just, you know. <laughs> but specifically with laser guns in space, after going to a cantina and failing to get a space vessel from an illicit hey, uh, they don't use smuggler. they don't use any guns. Sulu gets to beat up this giant security dude, and it's great. That dude is huge, well, by he, the way. <laughs> he had some kind of taser that he blasted that control console. Yeah, with. I don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah, some kind of shock stick. This is the console blower upper stick. Yeah, I invented this. <laughs> uh, um, now, meanwhile, like, yeah. Chekhov doesn't really have anything to do for the heist, does he? No, he's Chekhov, he's he's just no. there. Yeah, he gets literally they show up in Enterprise and, and he's there. <laughs> yeah, he's just there, right? Uh, but before they they go in the heist and do all this stuff, that jumpsuit that Kirk is wearing is the most insane thing I've ever seen. He looks like like a daredevil, like he's gonna ride a motorcycle over a gorge. The jumpsuit. Why am I not remembering? <laughs> he's wearing this? like a, this this zip up the front, like very like crazy seventies looking jumpsuit with like blue stripes. It's it's when they're toasting to their fallen comrades. It's an insane get up. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and that's when Sarek shows up, and we get to watch the movie within a movie, which is you know. Which is great. They're, they're they're looking at now. Everything that's happening now is happening now. Um, for any space <laughs> what about that? I mean, when they're watching Wrath of Khan. Yeah, yeah. You get yeah. to watch Wrath of Khan twice in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Okay, so they uh, they're trying to steal the ship, and they're trying to get out the garage doors, and Scotty's having a hard time with the uh, the opener there. Right, Scotty hacks it. Yes. Is, are we supposed to believe that Scotty is now an expert space station hacker? He's a miracle worker, Jeremy, okay? And that's just his thing, so... So he's actually divinely inspired. <laughs> all, all... Space God speaks through All him. engineers have this innate ability. I mean, I, I buy it. It's Scotty. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've always envisioned Scotty as, like, he knows which wires to rip out to make something function the way he wants it to, but it's it's weird, like, you know, Wi-Fi hacking control codes and, and all this stuff. It's this big drunk slob pounding away at a command console. Yeah, he does, he routes like, the entire ship through this one console, which is really impressive. Right. Um, well, and doesn't the Enterprise usually have a crew complement of, like, 600? Uh, I think it, yeah. uh, that, that Enterprise is, is 400 and some. But it can be flown by five guys. Well, according to Scotty, it can be flown by one guy because it was supposed to just be Kirk and Bones, and then everybody else decides to stay. Right. You know, so that's what that is. Um, okay, so they steal the ship, of course. They get away. No big surprise there. Was anybody surprised that nobody sent any other ship after them after the Excelsior broke down? Yeah, I mean, that's that's another of that, that same trope of why aren't there any Federation ships in Federation space <laughs> that we've we've seen many other times, where it's like, do, does is there, like, the Enterprise and then every other ship is parked on a different planet and not ready to go? It's not even that. I feel like at any given time, there are no more than two Star Trek ships, Starfleet ships, anywhere. You have the Enterprise and whatever ship it has to save, Right. And right. there's no other ship anywhere. And in this case, you have the Excelsior and the Enterprise. That's it. I mean, except for, like, the Locutus attack where they got, like, what, 20 ships? Yes, uh, Wolf 359, yeah. Yeah, Wolf 359. Which pales in comparison to DS9. But, I, you know, Star Trek's always kind of played fast and loose with the whole warp drive about <laughs> you can track ships through warp or you can't. You can catch up to ships in warp or you can't. Like, remember <laughs> yeah. the Into Darkness scene when... They're running, and what's her face? Carol Marcus is like, "Oh, 
we're at warp. He's going to catch you at warp. He's like, no, nobody can get caught up at warp. Or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, I, we, I'm referencing Into Darkness. I, I don't want to digress, but yeah, they have a space. They have a battle at warp speed. All right, I have <laughs> so many problems with that. But, but um, look, somebody gets blown out in the space while at warp. That can't be good, right? I mean, you would imagine that person's atoms are spread across. You know, I don't know, twelve parsecs. <laughs> oh, look at that! <laughs> well, they would they would end up on that. Uh, they would end up on Sakar, as we learned from. <laughs> Ragnarok. Right, right. Now, uh, so we've talked a lot about the Enterprise and her crew, but we haven't really talked about the other half of the movie that's going on at the same time, which is what's happening on Genesis. Yeah, who was Valkyris? Who? That lady Klingon that had the Genesis data? uh, Uh, She was just somebody selling the data. Was she supposed to be Klingon? Yeah. She didn't look very Klingon. She looked like she had like two bumps on her forehead, but otherwise she was just kind of a lady. Well, so I mean, that's the that's the big argument for the discovery Klingon look, you know, being something we shouldn't be too critical of because Klingons have looked different. Uh, I mean, Worf's Worf's uh, you know wife who uh, who dies in the next generation, she looks a lot less Klingon than he does. Um, but she's half she's genetically half human. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, we don't know enough about this. This Klingon woman, though, like I didn't even know she actually yeah. had a name. So, <laughs> Valkyris. Uh, yeah, I watch what the captions on. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, you have you know the Genesis torpedo information. It's now changed from device to torpedo. The Grissom, the USS Grissom, is destroyed with uh, just Savick, David, and Spock down on the planet. Savick's looking a little different. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I noticed that too. Kirstie Alley wanted too much money. <laughs> well, she got really popular after uh, The Wrath of Khan, and they didn't want to pay her, so we got a totally different person. There was a few other issues with Kirstie Alley right around that time, also. Oh, yeah? What, she was on Cheers? No, um, I'm not insulting you, Kirstie Alley. We all have tr- struggles in our life, but that was her, that was her first foray into some of the drugs, I thought. Oh, was it? Huh. And that was when it things got pretty rough for her, and then she really started kicking some ass with Cheers and all that. I gotta look that up. I could I be know. completely wrong, but I do know I that's know when she had a redemption arc. <laughs> well, I do also do. <laughs> it's perfect for Star Trek, but I also know, yeah. of course, there's probably somebody out there going, "Greg, you're wrong." I apologize. I'm just speaking off the hip. Um, well, Greg, you need to stop uh, having these fights with the people in your head that are constantly telling you that you're wrong. Well, you know, th- the think... voices—they won't go away. I think Greg thinks far too many people actually listen to the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Greg, if your problem is that too many people are listening to the show and telling you that you're wrong, you're fighting the wrong fight. Okay, maybe it's just my coworkers and friends then. Yeah, <laughs> look, the seven people who Dave, listen to our show. leave us alone. Uh, yeah. No, but, but I actually think Robin Curtis did a great job. Um, oh, yeah, I, she did. I like her version of Savick a lot. It's very different, of course, than, than Kirstie Alley's, but... Um, it's a little more, it's a little more human, you know, she's a little more emotional. I feel like her and Spock would get along better. Yeah, I, I feel like they just didn't do that much with that character. We just kind of cut to them a few times and they're always just kind of standing around. Dude, she has so sex with, with Spock. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So that happens. That does happen. Uh, I mean, you got to get that, got to get that pun far under control. I mean, let, let's think about that just for a minute here. She, she's got to be like in human years, thirty or forty, right? And which means, as a Vulcan, she could be much older. And Spock at this point is having his first pun far, so twenty tops. I don't know. Yeah, maybe not even twenty. Right? Like I'm thinking this, this, this might be a minor. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We don't we don't know what it's what the uh, cultural traditions are for Vulcan. Maybe it's like Tennessee. <laughs> oh, I apologize uh, to all our Tennessee <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so, really quick, I have to admit I was one hundred percent wrong. Christy Alley was told that she was going to earn less money than she was paid for Star Trek Two for Star Trek Three. So right. that's why she did not do it. Which is interesting, given yeah. that Star Trek Two obviously was a massive success, and her role in Star Trek Three wasn't any smaller. No, yeah, not at all. It was a little bit smaller. I mean, was it? 
she had a lot to do. I mean, she had to basically run the whole planet side of the story. Yeah. I mean, she was the... She was the one communicating. She was the one talking to the captain. She was the one who communicated about David. She helped out Spock. Yeah, yeah I guess. I don't know. It, it, it's just never really clicked with me, I guess. Fair enough. Um, so, okay, the Enterprise arrives, and they, they see the glimmer on the screen of one cloaked vessel, um, and they have their little fight with the Klingons. It takes one hit to knock out all of Scotty's hard work. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a quick fight. <laughs> it was a quick fight. Uh, the, uh, the, self, the self-destruct scene is pretty great, but before we get to that, we do have David's death, which... You bastard, you killed my son! Bastard. Um, Yeah, how did you guys feel about that? Did that tug at the heartstrings? No. (laughs) Jeremy's just like, no, move on. They didn't didn't establish the character. David never really had, like, much of a moment with Kirk in either of the movies. You don't really get a sense of their relationship. Uh, So it's just like, you know, he's your son, but you're, you're not really his dad. You're his sperm donor you, you know he's just some guy you met it tugged in the heartstrings in a sense I, I i agree with jeremy where he's coming from because they didn't have an established relationship it tugged at the heartstrings because for 45 minutes between two movies they're trying to give kirk the character some like a foil which is his own son and yeah. then they immediately take that away which I mean, if they had if they had done more to set up that the impetus of them going and stealing the ship and going back to Genesis was so that he could rescue his son, and then he fails to rescue his son because of this Klingon, then like yeah, that's that's heartbreaking. But he he's like surprised to find out that his son that he barely knows is there, and then his son is dead, and then he kind of gets over it after like he you know he yells it out a little bit, but then. He's doesn't seem that torn up about it. Yeah, um, it felt hollow. I, I I'm somewhere. I fall somewhere in the middle of you guys on this one. Um, it they definitely didn't do enough in Star Trek Two to build that relationship, right? I mean, the first time you see David, he tries to knock Kirk out, and Kirk prevails. And David's kind of a whiny baby in two, and he's not much better in three. Um, yeah, you know, he makes very poor decisions. Uh, and things of that nature, though he does die trying to protect, uh, you know, which, which is nice. I mean, he, he is, he's trying to be an honorable person, but the connection between him and Kirk is just not really ever there. We don't learn anything about the two of them. Um, you know, the enterprise takes, that did seem, oh, sorry. It seemed very unclang on too, with that Chris knife to walk around and just stab one of them in the back when they're unarmed and looking away. It was like. What the hell kind of Klingon is that? Yes, I, I agree with that. I do also think that that was a little lame. Uh, it didn't feel very honorable. There was no chance for them to fight back. Um, so if anything, yeah, David gave them an honorable fight. But yeah, I, the the death kind of rings hollow. And I know what they were trying to do. They're trying to give Kirk some some character growth. Because all we've had from him from a growth standpoint is in the first movie, he steals the Enterprise back. And doesn't really learn anything, you know. Uh, And then in the second one, you know, they his his biggest nemesis is stealing this massive weapon, and he learns he has a son. So let's go with that. True. Yeah. Although for the Klingon part, I'll give you this: in uh, the way the warrior that DS Nine episode where the Klingons and Federation are fighting each other. When they're coming across the the Cardassian fleet that was destroyed, and Bashir's like, "Oh, we should decloak and look for survivors," and Worf says, "Oh, we shouldn't do that. There's Klingon ships cloaked around waiting for people to do that." And Bashir says, "That's not very honorable." And Worf's response was, "In war, there's nothing more honorable than victory." Uh, yeah, and I think that that's that's a good point, Greg. Uh, but it's also a little bit different because they're. They're waiting for people to show up versus actually, like, capturing an individual and putting a knife to their neck, you know? True. I just... I, the way I treat the original series movies is almost like the Klingons and Federation have just been in this constant border war for years, almost. 
So that's how I kind of like, ah, eh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, my, I mean, and the, the real reason is that this is too early in, in the world of Klingons for them to have established really their, their ethos and pathos and all this stuff. But just looking back in with, you know, everything that I know going forward, it just feels like a very Cardassian move to coldly execute a civilian by stabbing them in the back as a pressure point to get someone to surrender. It just doesn't feel very Klingon, but they didn't know what Klingons were supposed to feel like yet. Oh, that's a good point. I gotta concede I gotta concede on that one. So so yeah, so David dies, uh Kirk sets the ship to self destruct, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um definitely was surprising when I watched that as a kid. Great scene though. I love watching the ship blow up. I thought they did a really nice job with that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And it was it was actually almost kind of heartbreaking, the crew watching their own ship going down. Yeah, when they're on that hillside and the ship is burning up in the atmosphere, and my god, Bones, what have I done? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a sad moment. I mean, that's been our ship for decades, and it's gone now. And, you know, that's, as far as we knew, there was never going to be another Enterprise. But also, he was, like, sadder that his ship blew up. <laughs> Than his son dying. Ah, uh, whatever do you mean, Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, was this the right thing to be mess up? It's it's a ship. Your son is dead, like five feet away. Oh yeah, right. But that's I think that's one of the key things about Star Trek that separates it from other sci-fi is that the ship has always been a character, and if if you yeah. can't. If you don't have feelings for the ship, if it doesn't mean something to you beyond its its nuts and bolts, then the show hasn't done its job, right? So when you know, the Enterprise D crashes on uh, in, in, gen- in generations, or they you know they ram into Shinzon ship in Nemesis, or Timeless where Voyager crashes on the ice planet, those are supposed to be very intense moments where you're losing a character of the show. Yeah, and that's that's what they were doing here. I mean, they were literally killing off one of the original characters. True, 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 true. In in generations, when they're in the ribbon, is there a moment where Kirk uh, hears like uh, someone from the next room, and he goes, "David," and goes to him? No, I don't recall that. No, his his girlfriend is there. Because he's going to go ask right, her. Right, the one that wanted to ride horses. Right, because he's going to ask her to marry him. And his dog Butler is there, you know, but I think that's it. I wasn't sure if they ever name checked David. That would yeah. be more impactful now that I know that he had a son named David. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't believe so. Mm. Um, in fact, I'm not sure they bring up David after this movie. Uh, well, that's not true. They do, they do once, but it's not like a father-son kind of thing. So, it's a little different. But. Yeah. So, yeah. So, they, of course, have their big fight. Kirk, William Shatner, and Christopher Lloyd go at it for a little while, which is a hilarious fight scene. Um, yeah, I'm not sure uh, Nimoy was ready for uh, fight choreography as a director. <sighs> uh, that's fair. Oh, uh, did you know, you know who Nimoy's cousin is? Hmm. Michael Bay. No. Yeah. As on the uh, IMDb uh, trivia, they were talking about how um, he was he was a voice on the 2011 Transformers movie, and that he's actually cousins with Michael Bay. That's so crazy. So I assumed he was a voice in the Transformers movie because he was also a voice in the original Transformers movie, the animated right. one. So. He plays Galvatron, um, so I just assumed that was a throwback, but that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, probably for both reasons, but... Wow, okay. Well, I did not know that, so... Yeah. So, direction runs in the family. It is weird to think. So, if, if Nimoy had not been Spock, would Michael Bay have had an opportunity to become an A-list director? Hmm. Oh, I'm sure they're, they're cousins, like, by marriage or something. I don't I don't think they're that closely related. Okay. You know, multiverse stuff, just kind of thinking about the butterfly effect here. Um, right. Anyway, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so we have the big fight scene. You know, a giant rock comes out of the ground that throws Kirk. And, you know, they're they're battling and the planet's falling apart around them, and which is very archetypal. So 
the explanation of that was that the Genesis device used un unstable plasma or something. What was what was that techno battle? I forget the specifics, but it uses some type of unstable element that all basically scientists have just ruled out as using because it's unpredictable and unstable. And right, I think she said she said unstable matter, and he's like, yeah, but it solved the problems. Right, it's like. All right, really phoning this one in. Well, but I, th- I think it's actually that was I like that because I think there are a lot of scientists who would rather take the easy answer than the safe, reliable answer, right? And that's what this was about: was that the scientists have all decided this is something we should not use. It's too unpredictable, and David was too impatient because he was immature and he decided to use it, and because of that, the real experiment failed. And yeah. so Genesis was actually a failure. And I like that. I like the idea that they came out with a, a solid reason why this doesn't continue to come up in the future. Uh, other than in the books, there are some books that deal with the Genesis device. But um, but that this was a decision made by David. And so if you think about it, you know, basically the premise of Star Trek 2 and 3 are David's fault. True. Yeah. But because of his decisions, that sets up Star Trek Four. But we're not going to spoil that <laughs> because Jeremy still needs to watch it. I do. The true. one with the whales. The one with the whales. Um, so before we finish up, because we are getting close here on time, do you guys have any closing remarks or final thoughts about the search for Spock? Um. No, I'm just generally kind of meh about it. it. From from a writing standpoint, a lot of things felt inconsequential. Like the the death of Spock in the previous movie was negated by by the regenerating Spock. Uh, the relationship value was negated by the son being kind of a screw up and just dying kind of offhandedly in a, a medium heroic but kind of eh kind of way. Uh, there's like, it's, it feels like everybody was just making the wrong decision. I feel like there's avenues of, of argument that could have been made from the diplomatic standpoint for why they should have been allowed to go pick up, uh, Spock's body that they, they didn't even try. Sarek, I mean, Sarek was rightfully like, my, my son died. He's the only Vulcan in the Federation and I'm like our ambassador from my people to yours, why have I not gotten a text? Like, hit me up on AIM or something. It is weird that they couldn't find a single freighter of some kind for the ambassador to the Federation uh, to go get his son's body. That that never really made sense to me. Yeah, and for it to immediately be disseminated, like, galaxy-wide, that this is an, an off-limits system to where you know, seedy smugglers in bars know that that's happening. And also the, the smuggler thing was kind of out of nowhere and he came and went. And then we have the entire enterprise crew going against the Federation. That's like weirdly oppositional for no real reason. And you don't really know well, if the Federation is covering up because it's because so they're, I think feeling guilty. Or... Part of that, I think Jeremy's because you haven't watched the original series, Kirk, Kirk, Spock and bones. They, they, Ignore regulation a lot. <laughs> well, there's there's ignoring regulation and there's punching out a fed and like a prison breakout. It's that seems like oh they're like as soon as they return to base they're immediately all going to be drummed out of service because this is outlandish. Well, don't worry. Star Trek Four answers that for you. Okay. So so for those who don't know, Star Trek's two, three, and four are actually considered the only real Star Trek trilogy. Because uh, those three movies are are back to back, they're literally back to back. They're one contained story if you watch them straight through. Um, so f- the Voyage Home basically finishes this this trilogy. Mm. So you'll get to see what happens with their repercussions and, and things of that nature. Okay. Well, so far, two is still my favorite of the three that we've watched, and I think that that's fair. I mean, most people believe that either Star Trek two. Star Trek Six or First Contact are the best of the original ten. So, oh, also there is there's a robot looking guy in that bar that looks like that robot that we see in Discovery, and I want to know more about that. Ooh, good eyes. 
Uh, Greg, what about you? Well, like I said earlier, I still love Star Trek Three, but I think in listening to the two of you, my opinions kind of changed somewhat because you, you guys, oh, no, we hate- well, no, you guys both bring up some good points, and I think one of the reasons I love it is because Derek, like you said, two, three, and four are basically one contained story arc. And I love two and four so much, so I love three. I do, I still do, do love three as a standalone, but uh, it's also because I'm all a huge Christopher Lloyd fanboy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And of course, John Larroquette is amazing. There you go. <laughs> yes. If anything, see the movie for him. Right. <laughs> Marth, Moth. I, I do love that line, though, where Kirk's just like, all right, I'll kill you later. <laughs> yeah, I do like that. Um, and he's like, but you, you're going to kill me. It's like, shut up, get out of here. Um, I, I'm kind of with Greg though, overall, like two, three and four are really is one of my favorite trilogies in all of movies because it's just one, one story and you get to watch these characters go through a lot of shit. I mean, between Khan, between, you know, the Genesis planet and what happens in the fourth movie that I don't want to spoil for Jeremy. Uh, there's just so much that they have to go through to, to see these characters come back to where they end up in Star Trek V and especially Star Trek VI, um, that if you were to remove that trilogy from Star Trek, I think you remove almost the heart of the franchise. Hmm. Is that is that, that an exaggeration? No, I don't think so. I mean, as as someone who's who's loved Star Trek his entire life and never seen any of these. I, so far, I haven't felt like it's it's added that much to my like understanding of the property as a whole, or understanding of Starfleet, or understanding of the dynamic of these these various roles and ships and positions and alien races. It feels somewhat self contained. So I'll, I'll have to, you know, I haven't seen the whole trilogy yet, so I don't know. But uh, so far, it just feels like kind of old guys. You know, stealing a ship. Well, but that, I mean, it is character driven, right? These three movies are very character focused. Whereas yeah. the first, the first movie, the motion picture and Star Trek six are more of Federation larger scale. Um, yeah. These three are very much about that core crew. Kirk, Spock, Bones, you know, um, that's what it's really about. And for me, I think that's why I really like the movie is because, you know, Star Trek First Contact is very much about Picard's personal journey and data and Worf. Um, and Insurrection, of course, brings in some, some really great character stuff. But they're, they're, Insurrection, you were saying, Jeremy, is one of your favorites, but it's very small scale. Oh, yeah. And it gets straight up ridiculous in points <laughs> with the, like, oh, now Picard knows how to stop time. <laughs> Uh, and nothing in that movie, and I, I like Insurrection, I want to preface that, but uh, nothing is as ridiculous as the joystick that comes up in the middle of the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love that movie. Saddle up, lock and load. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alright guys, well we are at our hour mark, so I think this is a good time to call it. Um, do you guys have anything that you'd like to say for our final show of 2017? Um, Discovery is good. <laughs> That's all I got. Um, Discovery is good, and uh, I'm glad everybody's been sticking around with us. You know, I know we're growing little by little, and we're going to keep continue talking Star Trek, guys. And thank you for giving us an, a quick interview, Doug Jones. Yes, that was fantastic. If you missed that, go back a few episodes. We have an interview with Doug Jones. The video is on our YouTube channel, which you can find at heroespodcast.com. Um, but that's going to be it for us, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to 13 episodes of Red Shirts and Runabouts on the Heroes Podcast Network. We will be back on January 4th, 2018. So don't go nowhere. Subscribe. And when is Discovery back? That comes back the week after. January 7th, so the week that that next week we'll have our episode on the return of Discovery. Well, so do we want to do the the last piece of the trilogy before we go back to Discovery? I think we have to. Okay, sounds good. I agree. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you guys in the new year. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. 
The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.